completion of our study in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. It has been a wonderful time for us to be reminded of all God's good purposes in the midst of the people that he calls his own. God, God is at work in his people all the time. Do you believe that? That God is at work in his people all the time, purposing for their good and accomplishing it because that's who he is. So today in our text, we're going to read about the the day that has been anticipated for a long time, the the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem and all the rejoicing and all the sacrifices and all the things that were a part of that. This is this is like the culmination of God's people coming back into God's place according to God's plan. God's people coming back into God's place according to God's plan. And there is a celebration. There's a party that goes on here. And they can hear it for counties away. That's what the word says. Counties away. They could hear the celebration of God's people. And since this is such a significant moment in the lives and hearts of the people of Israel, I want to take a moment to remind us of why. This is so significant. If you recall at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah was a court official. He was the cupbearer, a very important, a critical role, a cupbearer to the king, the king Artaxerxes over all of the Persian empire. Again, this is, this is 800 miles away from Jerusalem and he's a cupbearer there. And in chapter 1, Nehemiah hears a report of the condition of Jerusalem. Uh, let me read the condition. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So the picture that emerges of this city that was dear and near to Nehemiah's heart is that this place is broken down. It's been burned. The walls have been forcibly torn down, the gates have been burned, and and the city is in dereliction. Upon hearing this report, Nehemiah, as you know, he, he wept. He wept for the condition of the city that that he loved, and in fact, the city of God, Jerusalem, the city that God had established. And he fasted and prayed for days. And with great courage and with great boldness, he went before the king one day with his face sad. That's something you didn't do because that could be a poor reflection on the king. And he was, he was at great cost taking things into matters into his hands and asking God to give him favor before the king. And the king granted him favor to, to go. And he gave him wood and materials and, and armed support for his journey because this was a treacherous 800 mile journey. And he got back and he brought back with him, in fact, uh, a whole remnant of the exile. And they came back and he led this wave of people to rebuild the walls. Now, the people, Nehemiah chapter 4 said they had a mind to work. So their hearts were in it. They, they had a mind to work. And by the fourth chapter, we read, that the wall was built to half its height. While being built to half its height, there was at the same time much opposition to the work. See, any time, you know this to be true, any time that God's people seek to do work in God's way, there is going to be opposition, right? Any time God's people do God's work in God's way, there will be Opposition. Why? Because we have a hateful enemy who hates the progress of the work of God. That's why he seeks to deflate and discourage and tear down. That is the work of the enemy of God. Anytime God's people seek to do God's work in God's way, we can expect opposition. And that's exactly what happened here. The opposition took the form of many things, but but two guys in particular named Sanballat and Tobiah. And, and they had with them armies to back up their taunts. And, and one particular time, the armies were taunting the people of God working on the wall. And Sanballat said, yeah, this wall is so thin, it's so brittle that if a fox ran up on it, it would tear the whole thing down. And the, the armies being there threatening the Israelites caused 
much fear. Now, the, again, the wall is halfway built. Israel's enemies around, they don't like this. They don't want Jerusalem to become strong again. They, they liked having their way with the Jerusalemites. And so they don't want this wall to be built. And, and the threats of the enemies had their effect on God's people. They started looking around, not at what was being built, but the rubble on the wall. Kind of like Peter. Remember Peter when he, when Jesus says, come on out of the boat and, and walk toward me. You know, Peter steps out of the boat in great faith. He's not looking at the wind and the waves and the impossibility of the situation before him. He just, he just obeys the voice of the Lord and he walks and he's walking on the water and all of a sudden he starts looking down. He takes his eyes off of Christ. He, he looks down and he's like, what am I doing? I'm walking on water. And he realized the impossibility of the situation on his own terms and he began to sink. That's what's happening here. They said, there's too much rubble. The task appeared too big. They were fearful for their lives. And remember in chapter, at the end of chapter four, Nehemiah, he, he just like a clarion call, piercing the darkness of faithless work. He says this, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He, he calls to the mind of the people of Israel the character and the nature of the God who had called them to this great work. Just like we can forget, just like we can get consumed with all the impossibilities of the situation in which God has placed us, sometimes you and I lose sight of God, don't we? We are so consumed with all the reasons why this shouldn't work out that we forget the God who does the impossible. See, this wasn't Nehemiah's wall. This wasn't Nehemiah's will that the wall be built, but that it was in fact God's will. And they had forgotten that. And like a good leader does, he, he called them back to faith in God and their, their heads were lifted. Their drooping and weary arms were strengthened once again. And in 52 days, the wall was completed. And, and the wall was completed, it says, in such a way that even their enemies knew that God had helped them build the wall. In other words, uh, from a human standpoint, this shouldn't have taken place in 52 days. It was clear to Israel's enemies that God was at work. So, we knew that the wall would be dedicated after being finished in 52 days, but there were things that the Lord wanted to do in the hearts of the people of Israel to get them ready to prepare them for the wall being dedicated in chapter 12, as we'll see this morning. A census was taken to account for every person who's there. Every person is important to God. And so a census was taken in chapter eight. Remember, there was a great gathering of the people of Israel as one man, it said. And they they called out to Nehemiah and to Ezra and said, bring the book. And what did they do on that day? They heard the word of God preached and proclaimed and there was weeping and there was joy and there was a celebration. The celebration of the Feast of Booths was reinstituted and, and the people, it said there was, there was great joy among the people. So they heard the word of God. They responded to the word of God. Chapter nine, they were confessing their sins. And how they had forgotten about God and how they had displaced him from their hearts. The people of God were coming back to him. The wall was already completed, but God was still doing work in their hearts to prepare them for this time. In fact, one, one little detail in chapter 11, it says that people sacrificially uh, went and lived inside the city. So many of the people lived outside the city. The city of Jerusalem isn't that huge of a city, and so it couldn't contain everyone. Some people voluntarily went inside the city, uh, gave up their vineyards and other places in the surrounding lands, and they, they did so with sacrificial joy. And God was getting their hearts ready for this day. Why did he do that? It's because the dedication of a wall means absolutely nothing if the hearts of the people were not absolutely dedicated to the Lord, right? Like, what is a wall? It's, it's just a symbol of, of something. What was it a symbol of here? It was a symbol of God's strength. But if God's people and if their hearts 
weren't really into it, then the dedication of a wall is like a dedication of a tree. It would mean nothing if their hearts were far from the Lord, but God prepared their hearts. First, he he called them to roll up their sleeves and get to work, and then he got to work on their hearts. And now as we kind of drop into the celebration this morning in chapter 12, we're going to read what this looked like. So I want to ask you to turn in your copy of God's Word again to Nehemiah chapter 12. I'm going to start reading at verse 27 through the end of the chapter. As I read, I remind us all that this is God's holy, inspired, inerrant Word of God. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nedophathites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmatheth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I, Nehemiah is talking, then I brought the leaders up of Judah onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. After them went Hoshesiah and the half the leaders of Judah and Azariah and Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah and Jeremiah and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mathaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asap, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Malali, Gilali, Mai, Nathaniel, Judah and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra, the scribe, went before them. So Ezra led this first choir. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on to the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And the priests Eliakim, Masiah, Miniamim, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Masiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehonanan, Malchijah, Elam and Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezriah and as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Verse 44. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, gave daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron, and may the Lord bless the preaching of his word 
and have its way fully in our hearts this morning. And thank you. We got through that list of names with relative uh, ease. Thank you, Lord. So, uh, again, we read the names of these people because every name matters to God. Every name, every person, you, your name, you matter to God. That's why these names are recorded for us, because people matter to the Lord. So this celebration, this great dedication, you see how, how all of the story of Nehemiah, and including Ezra, in fact, are just leading up to this moment. This is a momentous occasion for the people of God. This celebration was marked by two primary things. I hope you see it right in the text, and I want to bring them out. Look with me at verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. That is a key verse for this text. So, so two things I see here in this dedication and this celebration of the wall. Number one, they worshiped with great Sacrifices. I know I stayed up all night thinking of that. It's right there in verse 43. They worshiped with great sacrifices that day. Well, what were the sacrifices that they made? Of course, we don't have a count of every kind of sacrifice, but there are a few that I want to just draw out from the text. First of all, they prepared themselves for this. They prepared themselves for this. They didn't just walk into this celebration nonchalant. They prepared and purified and consecrated themselves for this. Look again with me. I know we read a lot of verses. Look with me at verse 30. It says this, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Now we're not given, we're not given the specifics of what that purification looked like. The priests and the Levites ceremonially dedicated first themselves to the Lord and then the people and even the wall and the gate. So I read some commentators, they said, well, there's, there's perhaps a ceremonial washing of clothing that took place, maybe, maybe an outer garment that would then be put back on to, to signify the purification of the people. Um, there perhaps was a kind of a, a sprinkling, a ceremonial sprinkling of, of some agent on the wall to signify that this was now purified and dedicated to the work of God. But here's the point. Regardless of what the purification and this this time of consecration looked like, it was, it was their hearts that God was looking at. And they were preparing their hearts to dedicate to Him and to His glory what He had enabled them to build. This is, this is crucial for God's people. Like they came prepared. They prepared their hearts for this cleansing. They, they were dedicated to the Lord and, and they signified it by doing this very thing. The, again, the dedication of a wall would have meant zero, nothing to God if their hearts were far from it. It's like, hey, God, we built this wall. Thank you very much. You know, that's not what God is looking for. He's looking in the hearts of his people and he's wanting to see that his people are, are consecrated unto him. That's what gives God glory and they were preparing their hearts. This is, this is really significant for us. Because every time we come to church, you know, it's not like it's the dedication of a new, newly built wall, but there is something about God's people coming together week by week. We dedicate this time for the worship of God. And so in one sense, there is this sense of preparation that the people of Israel came to. And there's a sense of, I believe, preparation as God's people gather together at a time that's dedicated to the worship and honor of God himself. There's, there's this sense that, that God's people come together in a way that, that is consecrated, in a way that is, is dedicated. That means, uh, Chris said this a few weeks ago, it, it means that, that our Saturday nights perhaps may look different because we're preparing our hearts for worship. I was 
meeting with one dad yesterday and he said, you know, as I gather my children on Saturday night, it, I want to communicate that my highest joy is not other things that happen through the week, but I want to communicate through my actions and what I say and what my face looks like, that, that the high point of our week is meeting together on Sunday with God's people to worship the Lord. I, I call that good preparation to meet with the Lord. Men, you know what, what we do? We look at the outside of things. Are, are people dressed well? Do they, do they have a smile on their face? Well, you know what? God doesn't look at the outside. We can have nice clothes. We can have a smile on our face. But inside, our hearts can be far from the Lord. And what I see here is God's people dedicating themselves afresh. They're consecrating themselves afresh to the Lord. The priests had a role to play in that and the people had a role to play in that. And I believe there's something here for us just by way of reminder, dear friends. That as we as the people of God gather week by week in the the church that's dedicated for the service that's dedicated for the honor and worship of the Lord, that that we come with, with actually full hearts, hearts that are prepared you know, that, that we get to bed at a time that enables us to, to communicate to everyone around us, this, this is the high point of our week. Sunday morning. Sunday morning is, is what we're living for. And this call to consecration, because, you know, God doesn't look at whether we just show up. He doesn't want his people just showing up. And that's, that's what the people of Israel did. They didn't just show up. They came with hearts ready consecrated, dedicated unto him. And so just a reminder that God cares about your heart this morning. God cares about how you walk in here this morning. Now, you may have had, in fact, a very challenging week. There may be things that, that are weighing on your hearts and, and you, you're coming to, to give those things over to the Lord, asking for his help. That's great. That's what he wants. He just doesn't want us walking into the building uh, blindly or without thinking. God and his people, God is most glorified when we find our satisfaction in him and coming on Sunday mornings in, in such a way as to bring that joy, that gladness. Um, here's, here's what I have to say, too, about you all. I want, to, I want this passage appropriately to challenge you, but also to encourage you. So you know that Chris and I and our wives this week, we were away. We asked you to pray for us. Thank you, by the way, for doing that. We were away at a pastor's conference, a pastor's and wives conference in Florida. We were gathered together with 800 people, 800 pastors and their wives from 22 countries around the world, wherever Sovereign Grace is at work um, and God's at work in all over the place. But this is a Sovereign Grace conference, our denomination, and it was a joy to sing with those people. When 800 people who believe what they're singing are singing at the top of their capacity, it just kind of like raises the roof a bit. There was one time I was just smiling in worship as we were singing and bringing praise to the Lord. But I want to tell you, do you know what else was going on in my heart as I was with those 800 people singing, worshiping the Lord? I was thanking God for you. I was thanking God for you. Because you're a people who come together to the house of the Lord to worship him. You're a people who come prepared. Yes, we can grow in this, can't we? Yes, we can. And and let us grow in this. But you are a people who come prepared to the house of God to worship. And when I, I did it again this morning, I stopped singing so that I could listen to you and hear you proclaim the excellencies of your Lord. And I, I think, I just want you to know that brings both Chris and I as your pastors, it brings us great joy to see and hear you respond to the Lord. And much more importantly, it brings the Lord great joy. When you come prepared. That's why the psalmist calls this the sacrifice of praise, right? Because we're, we're sacrificing other things. We're preparing our hearts so that we can cry out with great joy and give to the Lord the glory that is only due his name. These people were doing it. You do it week by week. Are there ways that we can grow? Yeah, I believe there's ways that my heart can continue to grow and we can, can, can grow in this. But I want to highlight the preparedness. They dedicated themselves. We as God's people, we dedicate ourselves to the worship of our Lord. They were prayerful. 
They had spent time repenting of sin. They had been renewing their convictions before the Lord. In fact, we saw that in chapter 10. They were like, Lord, we have forgotten you. Forgive us and help us. And at the end of chapter 10, we don't have to turn there. But at the end of chapter 10, it just says this. We will not neglect the house of the Lord. They recognized that through their missing of God, they had neglected the house of the Lord. And after all this conviction and this joy and celebration, they said together, verse 30, chapter 10, we will not, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. God, God is so pleased with that disposition of heart. And I believe that's the disposition of your heart this morning, to not neglect the house of the Lord by coming prepared, prepared to give of our hearts. Even if it's been a challenging week, we still have an offering of praise to come and bring to the Lord. So God is pleased with that. What other sacrifice do we see in these pages did they bring on this dedication? Well, they renewed their giving. They renewed their giving. Look with me at verse 44. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. So on this day of dedication, there was a renewal. The renewal was not just that they were preparing to lift up their voice and praise the Lord, but, but they came with hearts that were eager to give to the Lord. So there was a real renewal of the tithes and of the offering. Now, what is, again, just for review, I believe many of us know this, but just to review, what is a tithe? A tithe, tithe is a giving of a tenth part. That's what the word tithe means. So the people of Israel came to give a tenth part of their income of what God had given to them for the cause of the temple, for the the operation of the ministry of the temple. So it went for temple purposes. Sometimes they would come and bring something beyond the tithe, which was also called an offering. So that's why even when we give, we we give our tithes and our offerings. So the tithe is our first 10%. uh, And then as, as the Lord leads, but the tithe is the 10%. 10% and then the offering above that. So there were storehouses that were dedicated on this day, dedicated specifically for the tithes and offerings. As God's people were being renewed, they were dedicating themselves. It wasn't just in their hearts. They were dedicating themselves by the way that they gave. Now let me go back to something Chris said during the announcements. Because you have been a faithful church in giving, this church has been sustained in ministry for 24 years. Since 1999, when this church began, God's people and God's power through you have sustained the work of the ministry in this church. It's amazing. We, as a pastoral team, we give thanks to God for you. We give thanks to God that you prayerfully considered even giving into the building fund offering as Julie and I took time to pray and consider, Lord, how would you have us give sacrificially to the building fund um, as, as we all do that together? Do you know what happens? Not only does God bring in what we need, God supplies in greater way. You cannot outgive God. God is the one who gives. He's the one that we see. And, and God is working in the hearts of the Israelites who had forgotten about tithes and offerings. Remember chapter 10, we will not, no longer, we're no longer going to abandon the house of God. Well, they had forgotten about giving. They weren't giving. God is not only revitalizing their spirit, but that overflowed then into the way that they gave to the Lord. It reminds me of the fact that God, again, he looks at the heart. You may recall in the Gospels how in one situation a woman came in, And gave just two coins. In fact, the word says all that she had. And what followed her was giving by someone who was very wealthy. And he put a lot in the offering plate. And Jesus called the attention not to the huge offering by the wealthy man, but to the offering by that widow with her two mites. 
because she gave all that she had in faith in God. God isn't looking at the amount. God is looking at our hearts, right? It reminds me of what the, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for what? For God loves a cheerful giver. As you read this passage this morning, there's this sense of cheerful giving going on. They're cheerful in their dedication. They're cheerful in their singing. But they're cheerful also in appointing people to be in charge of the tithes and offerings to care for the house of God and to care for the ministries of God. And so there's this cheerfulness that is marking this dedication of the wall. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a joy that permeates this procession. And so I just want to say again, on behalf of us as a pastoral team, thank you for the way that you express your faith in God. We are grateful for this, for the way you express your faith in God through the giving of tithes and offerings. And may the Lord, as we look to build a building someday, may he be glorified in the way the money comes in so that we can get that thing built for his glory and for the good of the ministry here in the church. God's people worshipped with great sacrifice. That's point number one. Point number two, the second thing we see here is they worshipped with great joy. There was great joy among the people of God as they worshipped. Verse 43 again, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for, for who had made them glad? God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also Rejoice. So, you know, picture this assembly. There's, there's a throng of people. They're, they're gathered together. They're, they're not just joyful people. Again, what would you say marks people who have joy? Well, you know, they're not just standing with their hands in their pockets like, yep, I'm a person of great joy, flat affect, you know, like, no, a joyful person is an animated person. A joyful person is someone who's not just standing with their hands in their pockets. This was a day of not just joy, but of great joy. And God had made them people of great joy. And how did this joy come out of them? Well, first thing we see, um, they rejoiced in song. They rejoiced in song. So two choirs of, of singers were on top of the wall. So picture this, you know, the, the wall's built. They go up on top of the wall. So this wall was so massive, this wall was so well constructed that it could hold a procession of singers on both sides. These great masses of choirs, they, they could walk on top of the wall. It was wide enough for them to walk on. And it could sustain this mass of people walking on the wall with musical instruments. By the way, Remember what I had said earlier, how their enemies said, oh, if a, if a fox goes up on that wall, it'll break it down. Here they are now, masses of people walking on top of this wall that's been constructed for the glory of God. The choirs on the wall had, verse 36 tells us, they had their musical instruments. They were playing them skillfully, even as we experienced skillful playing this morning. Thank you again to our worship team who does that so regularly. Skillful playing, skillful singing to, to lead the people of God in procession of the worship of God. They were on the wall with their musical instruments, and there were two choirs. One went to the north, led by Nehemiah, and one went to the south, led by Ezra. And they finished at the same place in the house of God. And so there's the sense that this joy that was going around Jerusalem fully encircled the whole city because one went this way, one went the other way, and they met at the bottom at the temple of the Lord. So this whole city was reflecting the joy of the Lord. It covered the whole city. So if you lived in the east or the west or the north or the south, there was a choir that was coming by and this choir was so loud that they could hear it for counties away. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. This was a celebration in the Lord. It was a great party. It reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalm 16. He says, you, you make me to know the path of life. In your presence there is fullness 
of joy. I know we say that verse often because it's true, but just think with me for a moment. What, what is the fullness of joy? What, what would that be like? So let me pause you here to ask you a question. Can you recall a time in your life when you just had this soaring height of joy? Just think for a moment. What was that moment? Perhaps for some of us it might have been on our wedding day. It could be a celebration of a certain kind of event in our life, an achievement, maybe a graduation or a, a job that just kind of set you apart. Uh, perhaps it's a moment with a loved one. What, what, what is that moment that you can recount on earth that was a really joyful moment? Do you have something in your mind? Whatever that joy was in that moment, that wasn't the fullness of joy. It was, I don't doubt that it was good joy, maybe great joy, but not the fullness of joy. Why, why can I say that on the authority of the Word of God? Well, because we're enjoying whatever that good moment is, and praise God for good moments, right? We, we like good moments because they cause us to give praise to God, but we're enjoying that good moment still in a fallen world. We're still not experiencing a world outside of the curse of sin. And so what we're experiencing, even the very height of moments that this life can offer, it's still not the fullness of joy because it's still tainted with sin. When we are in the presence of the Lord, he's coming and he's going to bring us to himself and we are in the presence of the Lord, there is the fullness of joy. And these people are getting just a little taste of it on this day. Again, they're living in a fallen world too. But there's this sense of the fullness of the joy of the Lord because God had made them glad. Now, you might be thinking, you know, that sounds really great for those people, Jeremy. Great. I'm, I'm really happy that they were really happy in the Lord. But, you know, I have things that weigh me down. I hear you. Let's think about those people for just a moment. Did they have challenges in their life? These are people that have been taken away from Jerusalem for 70 years. Now they're coming back. They've been scrambling to build this wall. Their enemies are breathing down their neck. They don't want this thing to go forward. They finally completed it. Um, but they're just still setting up house. They're still getting acclimated again to Jerusalem, many of them having never lived there before because it's been 70 years. Their lives were filled with challenge and difficulty too. And my point in saying this is this. They're the location of their joy was not in their circumstances, right? It says God had made them rejoice. God made them rejoice. It doesn't mean that their challenges were gone. They weren't. They were still regular people. They still fell and, and fell into sin and had difficulty. But what God did on that day and what God wants to do in our day is to fill us with the joy of the Lord, even, even, dear church, hear this, even when things are challenging, even when we experience things that cause tears to come into our eyes. God wants to fill us with true joy, and that true joy is only found in Jesus Christ. It's only there. God made them glad. God can make even our hearts glad this morning, even if we're weighed down. Because I know some of you, some of you are. Some of us have things that are going on within our hearts that, that perhaps we've not told anyone else. Perhaps no one else on this earth knows about the sorrow that we can feel deep within our soul. You know the kind of sorrow I'm talking about. The kind of sorrow that sometimes you can't even put into words. And I say to myself, and I say to all of us, even in the midst of deep sorrow, you test this from Scripture, see if this is not true. Even in the midst of deep sorrow, God can give us joy. God can give us joy that, that rises above the circumstances because our joy is not dependent on our circumstances. Our joy is placed squarely in the hands of the Lord. Amen? 
He can give us joy even when it's hard. And I'm not talking about some fake plasticky joy that just smiles and says everything's okay. I mean a joy that carries us in the dark of the night when we wake up and we're, we're tempted to fear again and, and worry about that thing that grieves our hearts so much. And we pray, Lord, would you take this and help me to have your joy? God wants to do that for us day by day. In fact, dear friends, sometimes... Moment by moment. I was praying for a friend who had, uh, you know, lost a family member as well recently. And um, I just let him know that I was praying. And, and he, he communicated back to me, you know, I, I felt your prayers. I felt the prayers of God's people. Um, and I said, how did you feel that? And he said, I was carried along. I can't explain it. The sorrow in my heart was very deep. This was someone that I loved very much. And yet, even while there was sorrow in my heart, there was also joy in my heart because I knew where my friend was. I knew that they had died and, and gone to heaven because their faith was in Jesus Christ. So in the very heart of my sorrow of the loss, there was a sustaining joy in my heart how can this be except for the lord doing that right how can it be that we can experience real depth and of sorrow and at the same time real joy well because dear friends god can make us glad aren't you glad this morning that god can make you glad even in sorrow even in pain even in difficulty see god had made their joy him. And let me, let me pull out one, one more way that we can think about this. There are a thousand ways that God could make our joy alive in Him. But, but just consider with me one way. One way that God may have perhaps moved in their hearts. Um, as He is the source of our joy, we can hope, we can put our trust in God because He is faithful. See, you and I, we, we speak things, we may well intend them, but I've made promises that I have not kept. I believe you probably have made promises that you have not kept. These people were glad and joyful because God is never that way. He never makes a promise he can't keep. Listen to J.I. Packer. The, the words of human beings are unstable things. They're unstable. We, we, don't, we don't do what we say we're going to do. But not so the words of God. They stand forever as abidingly valid expressions of his mind and thought. No circumstances prompt him to recall them. No changes in his own thinking require him to amend them. Isaiah writes, all flesh is grass, the grass withers but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen? God's word and God's promise stands forever. When we come to God, we come to God who, who never changes. And I believe that part of the reason this celebration was so real for these people on this day of dedication is that they knew that God was faithful to his promises and that what he says will in fact come to pass. What I say, I hope comes to pass. I hope that somehow I don't change my mind and do the opposite of, of, but when we come to God, He doesn't change His mind. He doesn't turn away. He doesn't say something in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Actually, actually, I don't really mean that. What I mean is this. He doesn't do that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Theologian A.W. Pink says it this way. He cannot change for the better. For he is already perfect, and being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. This is the God in whom these Israelites rejoiced in. He was perfect. Everything that he says comes to pass. Every will that he declares is accomplished. Nothing, no plans of man or plans of the enemy can thwart the perfect plans of God. And that is part of what made them rejoice. That is part of how God made them rejoice with 
great joy. And let me try to drive this even a little deeper. When the people of God, when the people of God trust in the Lord, even when the circumstances of our lives seem like God has forgotten us, that brings him joy and worship when we trust him. Listen to Piper. He says, we give glory to God. Hear this, my friends. We give glory to God when we trust him to do what he has promised to do, especially when all human possibilities are exhausted. When you look around and you say, I I don't see how God is going to fulfill his promise to me. Like there's too many variables here that it's not working out. I don't see how God is going to be faithful. When you trust him in that moment, this could be with finances. This could be in a relationship. This could be with dealing with sin in your heart that, that seems to just come back again and again and again. And, and you've sought to change, but, but it's not gotten there yet. And you're tempted to give up. We give glory to God. Hear this afresh. We give glory to God when we trust him to do what he has promised to do, especially when all human possibilities are exhausted. Faith glorifies God. Yes, it's true. These dear people had been through exile. They had been brought back. They had been called to work hard on building a wall. They still were figuring out where they were living and who was all. Their situation was not serene and peaceful and easy. Yet God made their joy huge. They rejoiced with great joy. Why? Because it was just a happy day. Hey, the sun was shining. We had good food and we we celebrated. No, they were happy because God made them glad in himself and in his promise and in his provision. And so I say to you, dear friend, this morning, just to bring it home now. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever might have the opportunity to weigh down your heart this morning, Whatever might have woken you up in the middle of the night, God can give you joy. Do you believe that? God can cause your heart, as you look to him, God can cause your heart this morning, even right now, to rejoice in great joy. Not because your problem's solved, but because you can trust him that he will be faithful to his word. And dear friends, this is a call again to faith. This is a call to, as we come into the house of God, come in a prepared way. Come in such a manner as to be thoughtful about God and say, Lord, I come to your church this morning. I'm coming not as a consumer. I'm coming as a giver. Lord, I'm coming with my hands open. I want to give to other people encouragement and and uh, just praise you for the work that you're done. Ultimately, I'm coming here now to praise the name of the Lord. And so shape me and change me and use me and cause my heart to be glad in you, even though there are things that I wonder about. Dear friends, this morning, I tell you, there are things in my life that I wonder about. There are things in my life that I, I've been praying about and I've asked God to change me, uh, in fact, just this morning. In the office, just aware of a pattern in my life that's, that's been there for a long time. I don't believe it's a sinful pattern, but it's a pattern that I want to deal with and just be away with. For years, this has been a pattern. And I said, Lord, you know, I'm tempted. This happened just this morning as I was praying uh, for, over this message. Um, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of coming to you with this because I've asked you for a long time. And I, I'm tempted to think that this is just what it's going to be for me. And God... You know, I just had this impression, I could be wrong, but I had this impression that the Lord said back to me, don't tell me, my son, don't tell me what I can and cannot do. It may take some time, but I am faithful to my promise. And I was called to repent this morning and say, Lord, help me not to tell you what you can't do, even though I've been asking for a long time to change this part of my heart. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. In the battle, in the struggle, I believe God says to us this morning through this word, come to him 
with hearts that are consecrated. Come to him with hearts that are ready and come to him with open hands. Hearts that are ready to worship and praise the Lord because he is faithful. His time frame is so often not our time frame, but faithful he will be to his promise. And he will carry us to that city, that celestial city. I I, I see in this passage uh, a vision of the celestial city that God is bringing all who place their faith and trust in him to come to. There's a, a vision of great joy as the people are gathered together in a unified voice, men and women and children, all together praising the name of their Lord in one voice. And what happened when they were doing that? God gave them great joy. Oh, may God so give us this great joy because he is faithful to his promise. Would you stand with me as we pray and ask God to do this mighty and good work in our hearts this morning? Lord, thank you for preserving this story of the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem for us. Lord, in this we see instruction for our hearts, for for you had prepared the hearts of the people such that they consecrated themselves unto you on this day of worship. And they, they gave of themselves. They, they opened their wallets. And this was simply the overflow of their hearts of what you had done in them, Lord. You had changed their hearts toward you. And you had loosened their grip on the things of this world. And so they, they dedicated themselves. They, they gave of themselves. Their tithes and offerings were coming forward. You had changed their hearts, Lord. They were coming with great joy. They weren't giving out of obligation. They weren't singing out of obligation. They were singing because you had rescued and redeemed them. Because you had been merciful to people who don't deserve mercy. And in the same way, we come this morning afresh to you even now. With hearts that are open. With hands that are lifted to you. And say, Lord, if you would love us enough to send your own dear son to die on that cross so that my sins could be forgiven, Lord, if if you would do that for us, how will you not with him also give us all things? And Lord, that fills our hearts with joy. Lord, even though we may have situations in our lives that, that weigh us down, that concern us, that that can awaken us at night. Lord, we're not going to wait to put our joy in you until heaven because you have joy for us now. So Lord, as we, as your people here at this church on Godshall Road in Southerton, Pennsylvania, as we conclude our time together, Lord, help us to conclude our time together with faith, Because you're faithful to your word. You are the God who is unchanging, immovable. Nothing can thwart your purposes and your plans. And even though at times we can't see what you're doing, we trust you, Lord. We put our faith in you. And we rejoice with a great joy. Because you alone are worthy of our praise. Praise be to the name of the Lord our God.